The Vape Passion Show, episode 31. Hey, what's up, guys? This is episode 31. I'm recording this on Saturday, August 27th. Not a whole lot going on this week, actually. Uh, Vape 101 did have a sale on batteries, so I did pick up some batteries. I got a couple of HB4s and some uh, uh, battery case and some battery covers. That's about it, really. But now that I got some new batteries, I can some some quality batteries. These are actually on Mooch's list of his top-rated batteries, and I want to use them in some of my single tube 18650 mods that I mech mods that I purchased recently. So now I can finally use those. That'll be fun. I also got a little 18350 because one of my mech mods that I bought has an 18350 extension. So that'll be kind of fun. Uh, I, the battery was nearly dead when I got it. I put it on the charger and it's almost fully charged after like 10 minutes. So I would imagine that battery isn't going to last very long, but it's just kind of fun. A little bit of a novelty. So that's about it for updates for me. Let's just get right into it. So the first thing I want to talk about here is that Rip Trippers and Greg Connolly, the president of the ABA, uh, the American Vaping Association, has partnered to create a fundraiser to raise funds that go entirely to the AVA to help send Greg Connolly around the country, state to state, to lobby for vaping and to fight to get the FDA deeming regulations overturned. So Rip started the fundraiser by donating a thousand of his own money and DigiFlavor donated $10,000. That got things kicked off and a lot of people have donated since then. It's been 10 days as of this recording. And if you watch any vape reviewers on YouTube, you've probably noticed a bunch of them supporting Rip and this fundraiser. Mike Vapes, Heathen Vapes, Indoor Smokers, Suck My Mod, Phil Bissardo, Twisted 420, Tia Vapes, and a bunch of other big personalities in the vape space. They've all donated and are helping to spread the word of this fundraiser. So you've probably seen that all over YouTube by now. At the time of this recording, $119,295 has been raised, and that's just in 10 days. The top contributor so far is One Hit Wonder E-Liquid with a massive $25,000 donation. So that's huge. Um, their goal is $250,000. So donate what you can and spread the word about this fundraiser where you can. If money's tight for you right now and you can't donate anything, just telling people about this fundraiser will help. So yeah, do what you can and uh, let's get them to their goal of $250,000. All right, and then some big news for Indiana. Uh, as you probably have heard by now, Indiana passed a really controversial law that basically made it only so that seven e-juice manufacturers would be able to sell in the state of Indiana, pretty much locking everyone out of the vape industry there and shutting a lot of businesses down too. And a lot of vape shops, since they can only sell e-juice from seven manufacturers, the shelves are looking very bare. They're losing a lot of business. A lot of them just have to shut down. Well, an e-juice company in Florida called GoodCat they have sued the state of Indiana in June claiming that the new law discriminates against out-of-state manufacturers and that federal law preempts the state law. So the judge hearing the case granted an injunction based on the likelihood that GoodCat would prove its assertion that the law discriminates against interstate commerce. This U.S. District Court judge, Richard Young, ordered the state to issue GoodCat a permit to sell in Indiana until the case is decided. So GoodCat is now allowed to sell in Indiana, at least until this case is decided. Um, so that's now eight manufacturers that can sell in Indiana. But that's really good news because this sets a precedence, hopefully, that should get that law overturned and allow any e-juice company to sell in Indiana. In addition to all of this happening, the FBI is also questioning those lawmakers that were involved in the creation of that law. And uh, the chairman of Hoosier Vapes, Evan McMahon, 
he had talked to the FBI recently and he said that he was told by them that they were investigating possible antitrust and corruption. So it looks like some people might be in trouble over this one. And that's great news for vapors in Indiana and for vape shops in Indiana. All right, so let's talk about some health and research stuff happening recently. Uh, this is a post from Michael Siegel on his blog, and he's talking about a recent commentary from Dr. Stan Glantz on Glantz's own blog where he asserted that the results of a paper published earlier this summer in the Journal of American College of Cardiology demonstrates that the cardiovascular effects of e-cigarette use are nearly as big as smoking. So Dr. Glantz basically summarized that the major study results show that one of the many ways that smoking damages the cardiovascular system is by stiffening major blood vessels. So Dr. Siegel here, he refutes those claims. He agrees that the study reveals that vaping has acute adverse effects on the cardiovascular system. However, he wouldn't describe the effects of vaping as being nearly as big as smoking because, you know, smoking causes heart disease and stroke. Electronic cigarettes don't. But he says that all this study demonstrates is that vaping causes acute arterial stiffness. It doesn't demonstrate whether over time this effect will actually translate into vascular disease. And he says that the results of the study are really not all that surprising because we already know that nicotine itself causes arterial stiffness. But what Dr. Stan Glantz doesn't mention in his commentary is that the effects of arterial stiffness disappear within 30 minutes after discontinuation of vaping. The effect of that is reversible and therefore it cannot be assumed that vaping will cause sustained injury over time that could lead to cardiovascular disease. It would take decades of vaping before it's even plausible that vascular disease could happen. And he points out that there are some other important things that Dr. Glantz failed to know. One of them being that drinking coffee also causes arterial stiffness. Other things that cause arterial stiffness are taking an exam that's caused by mental stress watching a suspenseful movie, high intensity resistance training, tilting your head up. So all of these things, they can also cause arterial stiffness, but obviously no one is comparing any of those things to smoking. It's just ridiculous. So Dr. Siegel ends his article here by saying that he's not trying to downplay the finding that vaping results in acute adverse changes in vascular function that if repeated and sustained over decades could possibly increase cardiovascular disease risk. But he says that it's premature to to draw such a conclusion. All right, and then here's another study. This one is published on, in Nicotine and Tobacco Research. So this one is titled, Beliefs, Practices, and Self-Efficacy of U.S. Physicians Regarding Smoking Cessation and Electronic Cigarettes. This was a national survey, and the researchers here, this, the team, wanted to assess physician knowledge and beliefs and experience or practice patterns surrounding smoking cessation and electronic cigarettes. So they sent an eight-page survey through snail mail, U.S. Postal Service, to 1,500 physicians in the United States. This includes primary care physicians, surgical care physicians, and pulmonologists. Out of those 1,500 people, 561 returned the survey results. Out of those 561 people, more than 90% of them agreed that it is their responsibility to advise and assist people with smoking cessation, not necessarily using electronic cigarettes. About two-thirds of those report that their patients ask them about electronic cigarettes at least some of the time, 58% of them report that they ask their patients about electronic cigarettes use at least some of the time. And overall, 37.9% have at some point recommended electronic cigarettes to their patients that smoke, with 11.5% of them reporting that they recommend them at least 25% of the time. So basically what they found is that the majority of U.S. physicians are discussing electronic cigarettes in clinical context, and a substantial proportion of U.S. physicians have recommended electronic cigarettes to their patients. So it's very good to hear that physicians and doctors in the United States, even though the government is trying to say that they shouldn't recommend them to their patients, these doctors still are. All right, and this next one I want to talk about, it's a little different 
Um, this one is not necessarily related to electronic cigarettes or vaping, but um, in a way it kind of is in regards to the FDA regulations. So this one is from Brad Rodu on tobaccotruth.blogspot.com. It's titled, FDA study, cancer risks nearly nil for one to two cigars per day. So he points out here that now that the FDA deeming regulations are in place, those don't just regulate electronic cigarettes, they also regulate cigars. The FDA now says that cigar smoking carries many of the same health risks as cigarette smoking. Some of the things that the FDA requires now on packaging of cigars are that they say that cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale, that cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease, and that cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. But an FDA report shows that smoking up to two cigars a day is associated with minimal significant health risks. So last year, FDA staff published a systematic review of the risks of cigar smoking. They reviewed 22 epidemiologic studies on cigars and health outcomes. They produced tables of results for many smoking-related diseases. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'll put a picture up of that table so you can see it. This first table here explores results for deaths from all causes, not just from smoking, just any cause, and from cancers among men who are primary cigar smokers, who had no history of cigarette or pipe smoking. So what this table shows is that cigar smokers do have an elevated risk for death from all causes. So it does look like there's a, a slight increase in risk among, among cigar smokers for all causes of death. So then there's another table here, table two. So this is the risks for individual cancers. So what this table shows is that like cigarette smokers, cigar smokers do have an elevated cancer risk, especially at places in contact with smoke, such as the mouth, throat, esophagus, larynx, and lungs. For other areas of the body like the stomach, pancreas, and bladder, elevated risks are minimal or based on very limited data. In other research that was published by the FDA, primary cigar smokers consumed on average about one and a half cigars per day when they smoked. So several studies in this review, the FDA review, reported results for smoking one or two cigars per day. So if you look at those results, here's another table here. While some risk estimates are elevated, none are statistically significant. The highest risks are for larynx cancer, but they are based only on three deaths. So Brad Rodu, he says, what are the most important take-home messages for cigar smokers? So while the FDA staff concluded that cigar smoking carries many of the same health risks as cigarette smoking, the data indicates that consumption of up to two cigars per day, while it's not completely safe, is neither associated with significantly increased risk for death from all causes nor smoking-related cancers. So the reason I wanted to bring this one up is just because it goes to show you how the FDA twists the truth. All right, this next one I want to talk about is from ecigarettedirect.co.uk. This one is titled, How much e-liquid does it take to kill you? Essential knowledge for all vapors. Um, this one is a little old. Uh, this was a, an addition to one I talked about last week about um, the dangers of nicotine, um, how to store e-liquid, things like that. So that one from last week was an interview with Jacques Lehuzek and it was more broad. It had some really good tips in there. This one is more focused on the dangers of nicotine, if any. So they talk about two researchers, Dwarzak and Heinrich, who decided to find out if nicotine was dangerous. This happened over 150 years ago, and they found this out by taking it themselves. So after taking one to four milligrams of nicotine, they claimed symptoms like headaches, dizziness, numbness, cloudy vision, light sensitivity, anxiety, dryness of the throat, coldness of the limbs, flatulence, nausea, vomiting, and rectal tenesmus. They also found that respiration was accelerated and labored, pulse rate increased, 
initially, and after 45 minutes, the experimenters lost consciousness. One of them suffered clonic seizures for two hours, particularly of the respiratory muscles, also tremors of the limbs, and shivering over the whole body. After the initial recovery, feelings of ex exhaustion, drowsiness, and bleakness remained for three days. So what's weird about this research that these two guys did was that there was also another scientist who did a similar study, a pharmacologist who took seven milligrams of nicotine, three more than these guys took, and only experienced very mild symptoms. And according to researcher Bernd Mayer, these experiments by two 19th century scientists are the basis for the warnings that we now have on nicotine. So isn't that weird that we have these warnings about nicotine on uh, tobacco products based on really poorly performed research from 150 years ago. It's ridiculous. So more recent studies have now shown that intravenous injection of five milligrams of nicotine, which is equivalent to a 25 milligram dose taken orally, leads to only mild symptoms of nausea and coughing. Post-mortem examinations of people who have died from nicotine poisoning suggest that lethal doses of nicotine could be 20 times higher than the 60 milligram limit. And like I mentioned in that interview with Jacques Lehuzek, he mentioned that nicotine poisonings are rare, even in children. Out of 10 cases where children had nicotine poisoning, not one of them had died. And 51 cases of ingestion of cigarettes or gum among children aged five months to nine years none of them had any fatalities reported. There had been one study with low exposure of nicotine for 20 hours a day on lab mice, lab rats, and the only effect on them had been weight loss. So the dangerous limit of nicotine is very likely to be much higher than what you hear about in media, on the news, and wherever else. So they do point out here that drinking a bottle of e-liquid is a different matter altogether because even though you might have a bottle that says 24 milligrams, that is per milliliter, not per bottle. So a 15 mil bottle of 24 milligram e-juice would equal 360 milligrams of nicotine. Under current guidelines, that would be estimated to kill you. But based on everything that we know about now, it's not likely to kill you. It, it could make you sick, but it's probably not gonna kill you. But still, something to keep in mind about e-juice. This article also mentioned an interesting story about two gardeners, they decided to paint a peach tree with 2.7% nicotine solution. I tried to do some research on this and I couldn't find anything about this story, uh, whether it's true or not. But what I think it's referring to is a potential study where gardeners painted the peach tree to prevent bugs from killing the tree. I guess it's used as a, a repellent to certain bugs of a peach tree. In the process of painting this tree, they managed to splash the solution on their face, their hands, and their forearms. They got moderate nicotine poisoning, which is probably due to the length of exposure, as well as the quantity. So it is something to keep in mind if that you, if you accidentally spill nicotine on yourself, uh, on your skin, and you leave it on there, it's going to be, the more more of it will be absorbed. So you do want to clean spills pretty quickly. So yeah, it's a, just an interesting article with some fun facts and a little bit of history of why we have the tobacco warnings or the nicotine warnings that we have now on tobacco products. Sounds like they're seriously out of date and uh, regulators need to think about doing some new research. All right, now I want to talk about an article that was published on thehill.com. This one was titled, Unintended Consequences of the FDA's E-Cigarette Regulations. This one was written by Christopher Russell. He is a psychologist and senior research fellow at the Center for Substance Use Research in Glasgow, Scotland. So he talks a little bit about the deeming regulations and what those regulations mean for the industry, things like that. But uh, what I really found interesting about this article is a study that he performed and he talks about. His research team at the Center for Substance Use Research 
recently asked more than 9,000 US-based e-cigarette users after the deeming regulations if their preferred products were no longer longer legally available to buy, what would they do? 73% of them indicated that they would bulk buy or stock up on their preferred products before the rule was implemented. And if you go to any e-cigarette forum right now, any vaping forum, you'll see that people are doing this have already done this. I've I've seen so many videos now of people saying that they're stocked up for five years at least. So uh, we already know that that's happening. 70% of them indicated that they would start to source their e-cigarettes and e-liquids from non-licensed vendors, which would fuel a black market trade. 66% of vaping former smokers said they would probably import e-cigarettes from overseas and 65% said they would start making and mixing their own e-liquids at home. So Dr. Russell, he says here that it's very likely that each of these intended responses to the FDA's regulations would pose much greater risks to the health of consumers than are being posed by the e-cigarette products that are currently being sold. The Both of these unintended consequences would both undermine the FDA's ability to assess the population health impact of its own rule and undermine the FDA's mission of improving and protecting the health of Americans. Out of those survey respondents, only 17.5% of them said that they would continue to buy e-cigarette products that have been FDA approved. And then here comes the most worrying part of this study. 15% of the respondents who have already successfully quit smoking using e-cigarettes said they would likely start smoking again if they could no longer buy their preferred e-cigarette products. So as you can see, these deeming regulations, they're not doing anything beneficial for the health of, of the people. If anything, these deeming regulations are gonna send people back to cigarettes. Okay, this next one I wanna talk about is from nytimes.com. This one is titled, Feeling Let Down and Left Behind with Little Hope for Better. So this one was sent to me by an acquaintance of mine, Alex Yong, he's Social Alex on Twitter. He's not a vapor or a smoker, He's a, a journalist with smallbiztrends.com. I met him just recently and we got to talking about the FDA regulations. He's not a smoker or a vapor and we were talking about it and he was really surprised at everything that's happening. So he's really taken an interest in it all and he sent me this article. So this one is uh, really interesting. So it was a quick look at the lives of many different people living in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, who visit a local vape shop called The Tapering Vapor. So this is a town of people who have fallen on some really hard times recently as, or in the last few years, as factories have closed up or have moved on to other states. So there's not a lot of jobs here. One of the statistics thrown out here was that this town has seen the second steepest decrease in median household incomes in the country. Residents here are lucky to make 10 to $14 an hour and many are lucky to even have a full-time job. One person in particular mentioned here in this article was that she has six part-time jobs, none of which offer health insurance. So this article discussed a little bit about how the town residents feel about having Trump as a president and how they feel that Trump could shake things up and maybe help their town recover financially. Uh, other people were mentioned being Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, I'm not sure any of this really had anything to do with the story other than than that politics are a hot topic right now, but it was still interesting to hear their thoughts on that. They also talked a little bit about how the recent FDA regulations could cause this vape shop to shut down. And so this is, the Tapering Vapor is a place where all of these people go to take a break from their hard lives. And I think that's the point this article was really trying to make about how our local vape shops are places for people with different lives and different interests where they all go to spend time with friends in the local community. It was a really good article and if you have 15 or 20 minutes to spare to read a really interesting story, uh, I highly recommend sitting down and reading this one. So uh, thanks to Alex for sending this my way. All right, now I want to talk about an article that was written on stevevape.com. This guy has been in the vape industry for a long time. He's had a blog for a long time. He kind of stopped publishing on it for a few years, a couple of years at least, 
and he's just started getting back to putting new content up. He had a guest post from Helen Dawson, who works as a writer, and she w previously worked in the healthcare sector where she worked with families and individuals, helping them to achieve a better diet and fitness. So this article is titled, Nations That Hate Vaping. So this list isn't in any particular order, but uh, let's just run through them real quick. So the first one mentioned here is Singapore, where vaping is entirely banned. Their government cites health issues alongside worries that vaping could become so fashionable that non-smokers would be inducted into the nicotine contingent. If you're found guilty of an offense, you're liable to a fine of $10,000 or imprisonment for a term not exceeding six months or both. Repeat offenders are liable to a fine not exceeding $20,000 or to imprisonment for a term not exceeding 12 months or both. All right, the next one here is Brazil, where it's also entirely banned. So Brazil believes that there's not yet enough evidence to support the assertion that e-cigarettes are not bad for public health. But what they're worried about is that years from now, it might emerge that they find that e-cigarettes are profoundly unhealthy, just like with smoking. And they worry that future governments will have a harder time regulating it if it becomes normal in society. All right, Hong Kong. It's also banned if it contains nicotine, because in Hong Kong, nicotine is classed as a poison, so anyone selling or using it can be subjected to heavy fines or imprisonment for up to two years. But e-cigarettes that do not have nicotine are perfectly legal. All right, in Canada, sales of liquids containing nicotine is technically banned, but it's rarely policed. Many people in Canada use e-cigarettes with nicotine openly, without anyone uh, really worrying about it. Uh, Finland, it's frowned upon. Their issue is really of marketing. Marketing is something they take very seriously. They've recently opened up its anti-tobacco marketing regulations to include electronic cigarettes. Vaping itself is not illegal, but you are not allowed to have advertisements for it anywhere in Finland. Nicotine cartridges are also prohibited because nicotine is considered a drug only to be obtained by prescription. All right, the next one up here is Denmark. This one is by prescription only. So in Denmark, you can get non-nicotine vapes easily, but if you're looking for nicotine, the cartridges can only come from a doctor. And then the last one on this list is the USA. So um, no bans yet, but it's subject to new regulations. Under the new FDA rules, anyone who manufactures or sells vapors must register as a tobacco company. And with that comes all of the health, safety, registration, and taxation regulations that this entails. So that's one that all of us are pretty much familiar with by now. But yeah, pretty good list of countries where you probably don't want to go if you like to vape. Canada doesn't seem that bad, but you definitely don't want to go to Singapore or Brazil. All right, now here's a really cool tip for any manufacturers out there, uh, anyone who owns a vape business. This one was written by Norm Bauer, and uh, he provides a lot of consulting advice to businesses, to vape businesses. Um, he wrote this for vapenewsmagazine.com. The article is titled, Vape Shop Events, A New Way to Do Business. There's this thing called vape shop events. It's like speed dating for vape professionals. This isn't a new concept. It's something that uh, the creator of vape shop events has been doing for over 12 years now in other industries, and now he's doing it for vape manufacturers. So what happens here is that 27 sellers or manufacturers buy a space at a host resort. Uh, they meet with 20 buyers who are hand chosen inv and invited to participate. There's a round robin over one and a half days where every seller meets with every borrower for 20 minutes. When the timer goes off, the doors open and a new prospect enters the room to start talking to all of the buyers. So the sellers have to pay to attend and that fee covers 100% of their expenses. That includes airfare, lodging, and food. The buyer gets in free and also has all expenses paid. So several attendees have been quoted here in this article uh, saying things like, this isn't a place where you come to party. These guys aren't here to play, they're here to do business. 
and there's no distractions from other conversations, loud music, or passersby like what you would find at a, a typical vape convention. One person here said, if you do attend one of these, that you should be clear with your mission and intentions. If you're a seller, be sure to have a good product. And if you are a buyer, be focused on exactly what you're looking for. Dylan Thompson from Vapor Essence attended the show last January, or this past January, and uh, he offered some tips here. He says, don't bring too much product and you don't need to set up a fancy display. The people you meet with don't care about fluff, they just want quality products. In most cases, they know what they're looking for and you either have it or you don't. So if you do run a vape business in uh, like an e-juice company or something and you're trying to get people to carry your e-juice, I think this is really something you should look into. I see that the next event will be from October 9th to 11th and that will be at Scottsdale Plaza Resort in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I couldn't find any pricing information for sellers but uh, like I mentioned, if you're a buyer, you can go for free. All right, and this next one I want to talk about is from the Steam Engine blog. If you didn't know that, steamengine.org, the coil calculator and battery calculator and e-liquid calculator, that website has a blog. And uh, the creator of Steam Engine just published a post titled Electronics and Liquid Damage. So basically what this article covers is what to do if you get your mod wet, your vaporizer wet. Um, like really wet. Like Mooch demonstrated not too long ago, battery Mooch, rice is not an effective way of drying anything. And neither are those little silica packets that come with your devices. So don't use those. The best way, according to this author, is to use isopropyl alcohol. So you want to open up your device completely, use isopropyl alcohol to flush any water from the circuit board, and give it a few hours to evaporate completely before you reassemble it. Blowing on it with a fan will also make it dry faster. One thing to note here is that isopropyl is highly toxic and flammable, so you want to do it in a well-ventilated area, away from open flame and other hot objects. The second best way is to use any other pure alcohol or thinner. Uh, ethanol, methanol, and acetone all three of those and other ones will take water along with it. So it takes water away from the device and then it evaporates completely without leaving any residue. That alcohol that you use must be as pure as possible. So it should have little or no water or other contaminants, uh, which takes things like WD-40 out of the picture. You d definitely don't want to use that. And you might be able to get your hands on a spray can labeled as electronic electronics cleaner or contact cleaner. That could work, but you want to read that label carefully because it might have a type of pure alcohol or other usable solvent, but it might also have oils and other stuff that you don't want because those oils will not evaporate. Something to keep in mind if you use an alcohol is that it can crack acrylic and or ruin LCD screens. So out of all of the alcohols that you could use for this, isopropyl is considered to be the most gentle in this regard. But you still want to be very careful about using it on acrylics or your OLED displays. The third best way would be to use distilled water. If you don't have an alcohol or thinner around, distilled water can be used in a pinch, but it evaporates a lot more slowly. The good thing about distilled water, though, is that it's only mildly corrosive so it's very gentle on acrylics. The fourth best way would be tap water. This is what you would want to use if you just have no other option. Tap water has minerals that could corrode circuitry over time, so it's not the best method, but if you got something like seawater or soda on your device and you don't have access to anything else, that might be the only way to get that out. But if you do use tap water, you do want to, as soon as possible, take your device and use a, a, something like an isopropyl alcohol later. So there you go, there's some good tips. If you happen to drop your, your mod in a toilet or something uh, and you want to try to save it, 
these are some methods to do that. All right, and the last tip I have for you here is about Amazon Smile. If you haven't heard of Amazon Smile, you can find you can learn more about it by going to smile.amazon.com. And basically, what happens here is that it's just like shopping on regular Amazon, except for that you choose a charity you want to donate to, and they will donate 0.5% of your purchase towards that charity of choice. It doesn't cost you anything extra, so it just takes a portion of what you pay and gives it to the charity. What someone here on Reddit found was that Vapavet is a valid charity. So if you haven't heard of Vapavet, this is a, a charitable organization where their focus is to help veterans to conquer their tobacco habits pr by providing a healthy alternative at no cost to them. This is for either active duty or prior service members. There aren't any other vaping related organizations uh, that are listed in Amazon Smile. Vapavet is the only one that I can find. If you want the money to go to the charity, you always have to start shopping at smile.amazon.com. You can start at that URL and then just shop as normal. So yeah, that's really cool. I've already gone in there and uh, set them as my charity of choice. Okay, so that's all I have for this week. You'll find the show notes for this episode. This is episode 31 on vapepassion.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Vape Passion. I'm also on Facebook and all the other social networks. If you're listening to this on the podcast version, you can catch the video with pictures and examples and everything on uh, YouTube, on my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Vape Passion. And for YouTube viewers, if you want to listen to this on a podcast, um, I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And like always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at alex at or just go to my website and submit the contact form. All right, so I hope to see you all again next week.